and welcome to Solid Rock. Good to see you all. If you're visiting with us, welcome. We're happy to have you. You have joined us uh, on the second week of a new series on Sabbath rest entitled The Beauty of Sabbath. We started this last week. Today we are going to continue this conversation. You know, Carl Rahner, he was an influential 20th century Jesuit theologian from Germany. And once when asked about his belief in the miraculous, this is how he responded. He said, I don't just believe in miracles. I rely on them to get through each day. I don't just believe in them. I rely on them every day. This is getting at the fact that the miraculous is all around us. Even if we don't notice it, the miraculous is all around us because the presence of God is all around us. Life itself is miraculous. You know, one of the prayers that we pray at that midweek prayer service that Austin just announced, we pray this every week, and it says, God, we bless you for our creation, our preservation, and all the blessings of this life. And when we pray that prayer, one of the things we are voicing is our belief in the fact that God is miraculously sustaining and preserving and bringing new being into life. Life itself is miraculous. The wonders of God are on display everywhere. If we could only slow down long enough to notice them. The problem, or one of the problems at least, is that our society, as we all know, is built on hurry. Hurry is built into our DNA as individuals, I think at least in part to the fact that, due in part to the fact that we are products of capitalism, and capitalism functions best when you hustle, right? And I'm all for hustle. I'm all for hard work and personal responsibility. I, I don't think those features of our world necessarily have to run contrary to the way of the kingdom. However, if those societal values become preeminent in our lives, if those values become preeminent in our personal development, we may end up being discipled into a way of life that puts us at odds with the kingdom. So hustle is fine. I think it's even an appropriate demeanor, especially when you're engaged in your work. We'll talk a little bit more about this in a couple of weeks. Hustle and hard work, that is a part of being a good employee, but it can't be the only pace at which we run. And I think one of the side effects of living in a hurried society that creates hurried individuals is that we simply do not have margin in our lives for anything outside of our to-do list. We don't have margin to develop our relationship with God or to invest in our own well-being. We, we don't have margin to invest in others or to even engage in our work in a way that is meaningful and sustainable. And we desperately need that margin if we are going to live in a healthy way. And by and large, that is what we want to explore in the rest of this series. You know, just last week, I noticed some of this incessant hurry in my own life. It was a Tuesday morning, which is my day off. 
And I went to a little park just outside of the city limits of Springfield uh, to enjoy the morning with my family. It was a beautiful day. There's nobody at the park. There's no noise. It's far enough outside of the city limits that there's no traffic noise. The, The only noise you hear is the occasional plane that flies overhead. It was beautiful. Nobody was there. What more could you ask for, right? And I caught myself as we were sitting down at a picnic table in that park to enjoy a picnic lunch that we had packed. I caught myself scarfing down my peanut butter sandwich, hurriedly rushing around to collect all of the trash from the picnic table to throw it away, and becoming a little bit impatient with my three-year-old when she wasn't finishing quite as quickly as I was because my mind frame is, well, I've got to wrap this up so I can get to the next thing that needs to be done. The problem is there wasn't anything else. That's all that was on our agenda for the day. We were at the park to spend time together. We had nothing to accomplish. And one thing I noticed or I realized in that moment was that sometimes I have become so hurried, sometimes because of legitimate pressures or legitimate responsibilities, but sometimes that legitimate need for hurry has bled over into every area of my life, and hurry becomes my default position. And I can slip into patterns where hurry defines my life, not just when it needs to, but also at times when it's not necessary at all and maybe not even appropriate. And I think one negative consequence of the hurried life is the neglect of our spiritual health. If we are constantly hurried, we will almost always neglect to nurture our relationship with God. And I think there are at least a couple of reasons that that's the case. Number one is that hurry causes us to miss God's presence that is all around us. If we are constantly distracted and hurried, we will not notice what Karl Rahner talks about in the fact that he relies on the miraculous to get through each day. We miss God's presence that is calling out to us, beckoning us to simply be and enjoy creator and creation. And I think Sabbath, if we can implement this practice, helps us slow down long enough to remember all of this. You know, last week we worked through a portion of the creation account that we find at the beginning of the book of Genesis. And we noted then that rest is built into the very fabric of the creation story. It is not an afterthought. It is not an addendum, but it is an integral part from the beginning. The the scriptures are screaming out to us, this is how we have been created to function. And again, in that story, when humanity comes onto the scene, from a literary perspective, the first thing on the schedule, so to speak, isn't work. It isn't a to-do list. No, the first thing on the schedule is rest. The human race begins with a day of rest with nothing to accomplish. The only thing on the agenda was to simply be and enjoy and celebrate. And that is what Sabbath is about. That is the bedrock of Sabbath. 
in his book, Subversive Sabbath, A.J. Svoboda says, Sabbath is celebration. A day of rejoicing over the goodness of what has been made and who made it. You know, one of today's texts from the psalm, Psalm 92, is, I think, such a beautiful articulation of this. The designation of that psalm is actually, it's called a song for the Sabbath. And how might a song for the Sabbath begin? Well, it begins with simple recognition of the presence of God, because that is absolutely critical to Sabbath rest. It begins like this in verse 1. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. And at times, maybe that, right there, Psalm 92, maybe that is the only thing we need to accomplish. To slow down, slow the pace long enough to recognize God's presence all around us. To slow down long enough that we might be reminded that everything is in fact miraculous. That God is sustaining and preserving even in the mundane and the ordinary. And I think it's slowing down that enables us to recognize that presence. Enables us to begin to celebrate and rejoice at the goodness of what has been created. And to enter more deeply into that joy. And making room for Sabbath rest gives us this opportunity, week after week, whether or not we recognize our need for that. And I think the effects that that routine practice will have on our spiritual health over the course of our lives will be incalculable. As we develop a genuine friendship with Jesus, if our goal is to simply dwell and not get to the next thing on the list. Thomas Keating once remarked, an uninspiring period of prayer won't bother you if your long-range goal is the cultivation of friendship. And I think there are some principles in there that apply to Sabbath rest. Boredom on the Sabbath isn't going to bother us if what we're interested in is just being with Jesus. In fact, boredom on the Sabbath may actually be a good thing because it calms our distracted mind long enough to notice that presence. I once heard somebody remark that our inability to be quiet, our inability to rest, may show that we are rather uncomfortable with God. We are uncomfortable with God's presence. Maybe we could think of it in these terms. If if you hang out with somebody that you have just met, somebody you don't know well at all, um, but you're going to go out for dinner, you're going to grab a cup of coffee, chances are many of us would think of a list of conversation pieces to have ready in case there's a lull in the conversation because few things are as uncomfortable as silence in a one-on-one setting with somebody you don't know well at all. 
And good friends, on the other hand, they can have prolonged periods of silence while they hang out, and it's not uncomfortable at all because the depth of friendship that exists brings comfort in pretty much any situation. So I think one of the questions that we might ask ourselves as we think about Sabbath rest is, is, is it possible that our unwillingness or our inability to be silent or our discomfort with the idea of Sabbath, ceasing activity for one day, is it possible that that reveals a lack of comfort in God's presence? This is one reason that I have grown to love the language that Brian Zond uses to describe his prayer life, and one reason it's become important in my life as well. He refers to his prayer time as simply sitting with Jesus. Sitting with Jesus. I think it's an interesting way to think about prayer and maybe a helpful way to think about the Sabbath. We set aside time one day a week to do nothing else but sit with Jesus. And we may be surrounded by our family. That's fine. That doesn't make sitting with Jesus impossible. But we are intentionally sitting with Jesus and trying to open ourselves to a recognition of his presence. Setting aside some time to reflect on, to celebrate, and simply enjoy the presence of God. Nothing to accomplish in that time of prayer. We might not even say much at all. We are content to just enjoy our creator and to enjoy our creator's marvelous works all around us. Eugene Peterson is maybe one of the most undervalued theologians of our day, a man that I know has had a great impact on many in this room and who sadly, as most of you know, passed away a couple of weeks ago. But he once said this of Sabbath, Sabbath is the time to receive silence and let it deepen into gratitude. To receive the gift of silence, let it deepen into gratitude as we become aware of the presence of God. To spend time with our creator, grounding ourselves in God's love, and simply experiencing and enjoying who God is, and remembering in that time that it is God's desire as well to be with you, to commune with you. You know, one of the things I love about the story of Jesus that is told in the Gospels is the centrality of meals. And I guess the, the centrality of meals and the story being told in our scriptures isn't limited to the Gospel stories. We, we actually see it all over the place. It's a part of the defining event of Israel's story. Their deliverance from Egyptian slavery not only involves a meal, but then a meal is an important part of the ongoing commemoration of that deliverance. The importance of meals are, are everywhere, but I think part of the reason that meals are so critical in the gospel story is that the dining habits of Jesus speak volumes about his character, his kingdom, and what was important to him. I mean, the fact that Jesus is routinely depicted as eating with both Non-religious and religious sinners speaks a lot about who Jesus is. We also see this right at the end of the story. After Christ's resurrection, especially in the way Luke presents this material in Luke 24, where 
Jesus joins these two traveling companions after the resurrection that are making their way to Emmaus. And those two individuals don't recognize who Jesus is until what? Until they break bread together. And when they break bread together, their eyes are open to the reality of who he is. Then we see one of the very last interactions that Jesus has with his disciples. What, what are they doing? Well, they're eating broiled fish together, which sounds appetizing. But they're eating together meals, time together. Presence is important in this story. Perhaps that's nowhere more clearly seen than just before the crucifixion of Jesus, at the Passover meal with his disciples, what has become known as the Last Supper, during which Jesus institutes what we know as the Lord's Supper. And during that meal, in Luke chapter 22, this is what Jesus says, with fervent desire, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I love that. Because whatever this is communicating to us theologically, I think when we dig down to the foundation, one of the things it's communicating is the fact that Jesus does have this deep desire to spend time to commune with his friends. Love that picture that John gives us of this same occasion in John 13 with John reclining on Jesus' side. John depicted as resting, according to the Greek, in the bosom of Jesus. The desire of Jesus just before he is killed is to eat the Passover meal with his friends. And yes, of course, this is a time during which he is teaching them and He washes the feet of his disciples, and he further explains the nature of his kingdom. Luke says his fervent desire is to simply be with the disciples. Presence. The second thing that our hurried society that creates hurried individuals, how that negatively impacts individuals is that not only I think are we unwilling in our unwilling to rest do we reveal a lack of trust in God but perhaps it functions in this cyclical way in a way that it also makes it very difficult for us to allow trust to deepen in the first place so trusting in God is or can be quite challenging but I think it's almost impossible without first dwelling with God. If we don't find rest in God, I don't know that we can ever trust God. And I think this is one thing that the Psalms are replete with, is this language in the example of individuals who are dwelling in the presence of God and allowing trust to deepen in that experience. This is why we are camping out much of today in the Psalms. And We're not quite finished with that. Our midweek prayer service, we also, every week, recite the first two verses of Psalm 91, which says this, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. 
the one who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, says to the Lord, you are my refuge, my fortress, I trust in you. Is it possible that dwelling, that presence, is what makes that type of trust possible? And I don't know if this is sort of the chicken and the egg type of a scenario, you know, which one comes first? Do we Sabbath and then trust, or do we first trust and then that trust enables Sabbath observance? And I think the answer to both of those questions is yes. It is a dance that begins with a first step, a commitment to start this discipline of Sabbath, but then it just flows beautifully and naturally as trust grows and deepens in a genuine way, and then that trust enables continued Sabbath observance because we don't have anything we need to accomplish. You could also think of that instruction at the end of Psalm 46. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. If you want to understand who God is, if you want to know God more and enter into deeper intimacy, if you want to learn to trust more, be still. Be still. Stop your motion. For a day a week, cease activity. Maybe God would say to us, stop striving for one day and just dwell. Sit with me. Eugene Peterson, returning to him, he once remarked in regard to the pastoral work of shepherding, he said that it's difficult for pastors to lead others by still waters if they themselves are in perpetual motion. I think that's so true, but, but I think it, we, we could add to that maybe that it's difficult for any of us to be led by still waters if we are in perpetual motion. Because being content to be led to green pastures and still waters requires that our nonstop motion finally cease. When there is constant motion, for always moving, always rushing, our spiritual lives will suffer greatly because a big part of the spiritual life hinges, I think, on our ability to slow down and simply begin noticing the presence of God that is all around us so that we can then move into celebration of God's creation, celebration of God's presence, and learn to enjoy life first and foremost on those grounds alone. Again, this is not about law. This is not about a legalistic insistence that Sabbath practice makes us somehow acceptable to God. No, this is about gospel and grace. It is about those of us who follow Jesus understanding that dwelling with Jesus is what we were created to do. This is why we exist. Rich Villadas said, he's a pastor in New York, he said, Sabbath is one of the clearest signs of the gospel. You accomplish nothing, and God still loves you. 
Sabbath, one of the clearest signs of the gospel, you accomplish nothing and realize that God still loves you. We don't have to accomplish anything to be loved. That's where an understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ begins. His love for you does not wax and wane depending on your ability to achieve. And as we come to terms with that, I think in a similar way, consistent practice of Sabbath helps us give up some of those unhealthy views of our spirituality where we are doing it to earn God's love. It helps us give up some of those utilitarian views of spirituality where our relationship with God is nothing more than a means to get what we want or a means of just making us happy making our lives better. And I do believe, by the way, that walking with Jesus and following Jesus will make our lives better. It may be in a very unexpected way, in a way that we don't anticipate, but the motivation of developing spiritually is never a desire to get what we want or to simply make our lives better. The motivation for developing spiritually is to enter into deeper intimacy with Jesus. Psalm, 41, Psalm 42 paints this picture. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul thirsts for you, O God. Think about that image of desiring water. Have you ever been dehydrated? Anybody? A lack of water can affect every part of your physical well-being. And you may not even notice or understand the deep need for water until you enter into that place of severe dehydration. Maybe you've experienced that after an intense workout or after a physical illness or something like that. And in those moments, you know that the only thing that matters is getting that drink, getting some fluids into your body. You're desperate to Nourish yourself. This is the image used. It's the deer pants for flowing streams. That's the way in which I'm longing after you, O oh God. Maybe you're thinking, well, I've never really felt that sense of desperation for the presence of God. If that's the case, I would encourage you to slow down for a day, a week. Slow down, intentionally dwell in the presence of God. Sit with Jesus with no agenda, nothing to accomplish other than to celebrate and enjoy. I am personally discovering, and it's a slow process of discovery for me. It might be slow for you as well, but I am discovering that it's in those habitual times of dwelling in the presence of God that my desire to be in God's presence increases. If we're constantly distracted, constantly moving from one thing to the next, always have something, a script or something playing in our minds, we will never have a deep desire to experience the presence of God that is all around us. 
celebrating and enjoying the presence of God, I think will become secondary at best in our list of priorities when our to-do list is never ending. When there are things to do, and there are always people to please and things to achieve. In those moments, our tendency is to forget about our relationship with God, to push that desire of presence with Jesus to the back burner. And Sabbath has the ability to slow us down long enough to remind us of God's glory, to remind us of God's presence and love for us something that we don't often notice when we are zooming through life at a million miles an hour. I know in my life, when I slow down, when I quiet my mind, quiet my voice, I begin to notice things that are all around me, but I'm simply too distracted to see. I begin to see God at work, in things that seem ordinary and mundane, but as Karl Rahner said, I begin to notice the miraculous in everything. I begin to rely on it each and every day. Kevin, if you all want to come up. We are going to move to a time of prayer and response as we sing together. And as we do, I want us to think about, well, Gregory of Nyssa was a a 4th century Cappadocian father. He is considered to be a saint in both the Eastern and Western churches. And as an invitation into this time of reflection this morning, thinking about what we have talked about today, I want to read a selection of a homily by St. Gregory, and then I will invite you to join me in his prayer from that sermon. In that homily, he said this, Where do you pasture your sheep, O good shepherd, who carries all your flock on your shoulders? For the one lamb that you took up is the entire human race, which you raised on your shoulders. And as we pray the rest of that prayer together, would you stand with me? We're going to sing together. This is our prayer today. Show me then the place of pasture. Make known to me the waters of rest. Lead me out to the good grass. Call me by name that I, your sheep, may listen to your voice and may your call be the gift of eternal life. Amen. Again, our invitation this morning. As we spend time reflecting on this gift we have been given in Sabbath rest, a gift built into the created order, the invitation is come and rest. Come and rest. Come and rest.